welcome to this week's episode of Strange Pathways. It's a uh, it's been an odd week. It's been a very good week though. It's it's been a it's been a fun week for me. We uh I had a bit of an altercation with the neighbor, but using using a few methods I've learned, I was able to to de-escalate the situation. Um and I was very happy about that. My wife was very happy about that too. I had that like that one stressful day and then the next day it was really nice. My my wife and I, we went, we got dinner. We went to a local cemetery. It's not as creepy as it sounds, but we went to a local cemetery where they have this beautiful pond. We had dinner in front of this pond. We fed the fish in the pond some bread. And it was it was great. They made little sounds as as they sucked down the bread. And right before we left the cemetery, at the edge of the woods, four deer came out and stared at us for a long time. It was around 8.15, 8.30, so the sun was going down. It was it was really nice. It was really peaceful. It was exactly what I needed at that moment and time. It was bucolic, it was fun, and I had the love of my life by my side. And I hope, once again, I hope your weeks were just as good as mine. If you were to go back to 1976 and pick up a winter issue of the Oklahoma Today magazine, you're going to find... A very odd article in there. It's an article about the little people in Oklahoma. And there's a photograph in there. Now this photograph. This is of somebody called Uncle Billy Washington. And underneath the photograph is this little blurb. It says, When Billy Washington, Choctaw doctor, had his portrait made in Ardmore Studio long ago, a little people helper who was invisible to the photographer, but not to the camera, appeared in the picture, standing on a studio prop table. It is only very rarely that one of the little people gets caught by the camera lens. Uncle Billy, Billy Washington... Looking more than a little bit like Harrison Ford is just kind of standing there. He's He's got a hat on. His hands are grasping the sides of his jacket. And there is... There is indeed something standing on the table next to him. I would say it's about ten... 11, 12 inches tall, maybe a foot tall. And there are, there are legends of these little people throughout the Native American lore. Now, Billy Washington had come from Mississippi to Oklahoma during the early days of what's called Indian Territory. He became incredibly important to the people of the Yellow Hills. Uh, he ministered to them. He collected herbs in the woods. He made medicines for them. 
Now, the Choctaw have this legend that their medicine men, shamans, were aided by these tiny little fairy leprechaun-like beings. They would essentially go to their, their medicine men. And I, I don't like using that term, but that's, that's the term I'm going to use. They would go to their medicine men and just kind of like, come on, come with me. And they would, they would follow them into the woods and they would show them the herbs that they need. Only the medicine men could see these beings. If anybody else saw them, they kind of appeared to other people as a glowing ball of light. I'm thinking right now like the Marfa lights in Texas or the Brown Mountain lights in the Carolinas. Now, the reason Uncle Billy had this photo taken, his family didn't have a single photo of him. And they, they said, we'd love to have a picture of you. Would you get one? Yeah, sure. He travels all the way to Ardmore, Oklahoma. Remember, we're back in the days whenever taking a photo was, was an adventure. It, was, it happened only once in your life. Maybe after your life. Death photos are a thing. It was... The people died before they got the photo taken. So in an effort to remember the person, they would kind of prop them up, stand around them. Here's our photo. We got Susie in there. But the photographer had him stand next to a small table. And the developed photo... There is a small, strange little person standing next to him. The, the Choctaw call them the, and I hope I'm pronouncing this right, I'm probably not, Kanakuasha. Now the Kanakuasha, the, the Choctaw legends say, they don't die. Now other, other Native American tribes in the area have stories of little people. Some helpful, some not so helpful. The Plains Indians told of battles with hostile tribes. They, they referred to them as knee-high demons. They, they fed on humans. The Shoshone called them the Nibiragar, meaning people-eater. The Arapaho called them tiny people-eaters. I think up in the New England, there, there's, there's an entity called Pukwudgies. And forgive me, I'm not going by my notes right now. I'm just kind of off the cuff. The, the Pukwudgies are these little, tiny little entities that live in the woods and cause all sorts of havoc. And the interesting thing to me about the Pukwudgies, there's, there's a story of a superhero within the tribe that believes in Pukwudgies. Like, they're Batman, they're Superman. The Pukwudgies defeat him. That's, that, to me, says a lot. Whenever you have, like, that, that person that you look up to, you know, that's here. this is the guy that ripped the sun out of the gods' hands and put it in the sky, and he, he ripped the moon out from the ocean and put it up there. That kind of superhero. Whenever you have that, and you have this, this entity, this group of entities killing him, I mean, that kind of says a lot to me. Now, surely, 
Surely there are no bodies around there of, of little people. Nothing mysterious like that. We wouldn't have evidence. But we're wrong. But we're wrong. In 1932, some accounts say 1934, about 60 miles southwest of Casper, Wyoming, there was found what became known as the Pedro Mountain Mummy. It was found sitting on side the ledge of a cave. Its seated height was six and a half inches tall. Think about that. Its seated height was six and a half inches tall. This is human. It has long white hair. It had a full set of teeth. It had a skeleton. This wasn't something that somebody crafted out of a dead deer or a dead mouse. This had a skeleton inside. In 1950, it was brought to the American Museum of Natural History in New York. And Dr. Harry Shapiro, the museum's authority on anthropology, examined it. Hair samples. The hair samples taken determined it was human. X-rays revealed that skeletal structure. It did have unusually large eye sockets. Now after that, the Pedro Mountain Mummy ends up going to the Museum of Natural History in Chicago. And they called it an anencephalic anomaly. An infant born without the top of its skull. This, this kind of accounts for the large eye sockets, but not for the full set of teeth and the post-pubescent body hair on the creature. The Pedro Mountain Mummy changed hands so many times, and in 1975, it was lost. We don't know where it is right now. But in 79, Dr. Shapiro's x-rays were given to uh, the professor of anthropology at Wyoming University, Dr. George Gill. He said that this was an anencephalic infant. But there are others who insist that it was an adult human. And look, I know. I know it's hard to believe that, you know, this lost mummy was out there. But we do have something like that available to us today. Nearly 20 years ago, in the Atacama Desert, northern Chile, someone discovered a tiny mummified creature a human DNA says it's human it's only six inches long and it is remarkably complete it has hardened teeth giant eye sockets just like the Pedro mountain mummy a long skull that ends in a point Ten ribs 
instead of 12. A lot of people thought this thing was alien. But what if... What if Ada, as the mummy has come to be known, what if Ada, what if the Pedro Mountain Mummy are some mystical, paranormal branch of humanity? Maybe the little people of the Choctaw legends are exactly that. Maybe they are people. Humans. It's really not so outrageous if you think about it. My wife and I look very different. She's very, very tall, as is everyone in her family. I'm very, very short, as is everyone in my family. She has dark skin. I have light skin. We're both human. What if these little people of legend that helped the medicine men of Choctaw find herbs and poultices in the woods... What if the cannibals were exactly that? Cannibals eating their own kind. What if the Gaelic fairies of old in England were nothing more than another branch of humanity? What if Bigfoot's the same? What if the Sasquatch is another branch of human? It kind of fits, doesn't it? You would think if... If these little 6-inch, 15-inch creatures are human, then it would also go the other way. That the 10-foot, the 11-foot, 12-foot, 15-foot creatures are also human. Maybe these things that we see in the woods... Maybe these are our cousins. These are our relatives. Not in the way that chimpanzees are our cousins. But much, much closer related than that. We're going to go all the way back to 1885 now. Austria. We're going to go into a foundry and we're going to kind of peek over the shoulder of a workman named Rydal. This worker is going to pick up a lump of coal that had been mined at a nearby town called Wolf's Egg. And he's going to notice that it's got a little bit more heft to it. It, it, it. Something's odd about this one. He takes a hammer, cracks it open, and finds a strange metal cuboid object embedded 
in the lump of coal. Scientists. Now, the coal that Rydell had been using is usually about 60 million years old. 60 million years old. But the object that is inside this coal, it looks somewhat man-made. It weighs about 785 grams. It measures 67 millimeters by 67 millimeters by 47 millimeters. Four of its sides are kind of flat, but two sides that are opposite of each other are convex. They, They kind of bulge out. And a deep groove is cut all the way around the object. And this object seems to be made by some intelligent design. Now, Rydell looks at this and goes, okay, this is strange. Now, Rydell takes it to his supervisor. And the supervisor then takes it to the son of the founder of the foundry, Isidore Braun. And he takes the object to the Hymethus Museum in Vaclabruck. And they look at this and go, oh yeah, this is a meteorite. Case closed. This is a meteorite. But then in 1967, the artifact is analyzed at the Vienna Natural History Museum. They use an electron beam microanalysis. There are no traces of nickel, chromium, no cobalt. This is not a meteorite. In fact, in 1973, a scientist named Hubert Matliner looks at this and goes, this has been made using lost wax technique. Two more scientists, Dr. Jero Karat and Dr. Rudolf Grill, look at it and go, it's got low magnesium in it. This is cast iron. This is made. This is not created. This is made. For the scientists listening, the object is made of iron, carbon, a little bit of nickel. Not a lot. It has a specific gravity of 7.75 and doesn't appear to have been in space ever. There are those that believe that this is something from a time traveler. There are those that believe this is a leftover piece of technology or art from a lost civilization on Earth millions and millions of years ago. Some believe it's just a piece of mining equipment that happened to break off. That seems a little unlikely to me really doesn't look like any mining equipment I've ever seen. Now, a lot of the stuff I've read whenever doing research on the wolf's egg object, 
a lot of them go, oh, it, it disappeared without a trace in 1910. And, and no one knows where it is. No. We know where it is. It's not vanished. It's not gone. It is at, still to this day, the Heimathus Museum in Vokalabrock, Austria. Our next story takes us to Enfield, Illinois, April 1973. Henry McDaniel hears some scratching at his door. And he opens the door and sees a three-legged creature. It has a short body, two tiny arms coming out of its breast area. Pink eyes, as big as flashlight. This thing is about four, maybe five feet tall, grayish-colored, and trying to get into the house. McDaniel, a military man, he's not going to let this thing in, and he goes and gets his pistol. He kicks open the door, fires a shot. His first shot, McDaniel knows he hit it. The creature, quote, hissed like a wildcat, scampered away, covered 75 feet in three jumps, and disappears into the brush along the railroad embankment near the house. McDaniel calls the police. Illinois state troopers respond to the call, and they find tracks that are like a dog... Like dog tracks, except they have six toe pads. Two of these tracks were four inches across. The third, slightly smaller. So here we go. We do have tracks. We do have three foot print tracks. I guess that's a weird way of saying it, but I'm going to stick with that. Triple tracks. The investigators start to look into this. And they find out that a young boy, a, a kid by the name of Greg Garrett, who was just behind McDaniel's house, he lived there. He'd been playing his he'd been playing in his yard about a half an hour before, and the creature not only appeared, but attacked him. Stepped on his feet, but this was enough to tear the boy's shoes to shreds. On May 6th, Henry McDaniel, our original guy, he's woken up in the middle of the night by dogs just howling. He, he opens the door. There it is again, staring at him, standing near the railroad tracks and starts walking down the railroad tracks. McDaniel said, quote, it started on down the railroad track. It wasn't in a hurry or anything. Now, McDaniel's reports, they, people are starting to kind of take notice. People are coming to Enfield. But the county sheriff, he's not having any of this. He, he starts to threaten McDaniel, but it's too late. Tons of people are coming in. Reporters, curiosity seekers, investigators. There, five, five men are arrested by the deputy sheriff. Jim Clark is threats to public safety and hunting violations. They, they had opened fire on a gray, hairy thing that they saw in the underbush on May 8th. 
Now, there, there were some credible witnesses, though. The wonderfully named Rick Rainbow, who was the news director of Kokomo, Indiana's radio station, WWKI, uh, saw it, along with three other persons. They saw it near an abandoned house, just a little bit down the road from McDaniel's home. They thought it was about five feet tall, gray, stooped over. Rick Rainbow managed to record its voice, its cry, its wail. I wasn't able to find it. Supposedly, there is a researcher named Lauren Coleman, and I I love Lauren Coleman stuff. Phantoms and Monsters is one of my go-to sites. I, I love that website. Lauren Coleman supposedly has heard this, maybe even has a copy of the audio. But then, like a lot of other things, like the Dover Demon, like Mothman, the sightings end. Like like the Dover Demon, like Mothman, there was a lot of UFO activity reported in the area. But the Enfield monster just vanishes into history. Now, there are some skeptics who say that what was seen at that time was an escaped kangaroo. You can almost believe it, can't you? Short arms coming out of the chest, big eyes, a thick tail that can be mistaken as a third leg. I want you to remember two things, though. Two things to keep in mind. Number one, we have tracks. We have tracks. Tails do not leave paw prints. We have tracks. Number two, I told you Henry McDaniel, he was a military man. He was stationed in Australia. And the base that he was stationed at, the kangaroos were so tame that they were often treated like pets. This is a man who was very, very familiar with what a kangaroo looked like. I have trouble believing that this man mistook whatever the Enfield horror was for a kangaroo. Normally, I kind of leave it at three stories and at that, but something something somewhat interesting uh, appeared on my radar. I, I want to do a full episode on this, but at the same time, I, I kind of want to throw this out. I, I found this Friday. It's currently Sunday. Not enough time to research. But I found this insanely interesting, and you'll see why. When I was a child, me personally, I remember being tested for what was called the Gifted and Talented Program. On the 4chan paranormal boards, this is kind of a popular thing right now, but this really did catch my attention. 
The theory is, and I haven't decided how much weight to give this theory, but the theory is that the talented and gifted education program was a PSYOP run by Tavistock based on research done after World War II. Uh, the, the United States realized it was falling behind Russia and China in identifying gifted individuals. And this is what the GATE program was for, finding these individuals. Some on 4chan and other places are suggesting these programs had a secondary objective. Certain children, smart but obedient, are selected for prominence in government, industry, academia. Other children, smart but anti-authoritarian, are being singled out for other purposes. There, there is some, some vague idea that they all play a role in the crash of the civilization and rebuilding afterwards. And I do remember being part of the GATE program. I remember having my hearing tested and, and visualization... No, there, there was a whole set of rules. And I didn't really remember being in the GATE program. I remember one, one specific traumatic incident where we were, we were watching a play and they... They pulled me and about three other kids out of the play. It was like, you know, it was like the third graders watching the fourth graders give a play. I even remember what the play was about. It was about Abraham Lincoln's young childhood. There was a doctor's office very near the school, so the school nurse took me and two of the other kids down to this doctor's office to the dentist. The dentist was in the basement of the doctor's office. The building is still there in Salisbury, Pennsylvania. You can look at it. You, you, can, you, can, see, you can see where the school is, and you can see where the doctor's office is. The doctor's office is on Ord Street in Salisbury, just down from the school. So it wasn't a huge walk. The school nurse took me and a few other children down there. The dentist looked in my mouth and decided that he wanted to clip the skin under my tongue. I didn't let him. I freaked out, quite honestly. I always had a paranoia of dentists, and I, I sure as hell wasn't going to let some guy clip my tongue. I held it together enough. I was a weepy kid. I'm not going to lie. I cried at the drop of a hat. But I was scared enough to hold it together enough until I walked home that day. I talked to my mom. I talked to my dad about this. And they were furious. Absolutely furious. That's, that's the strongest memory I have of some weird program. I do remember being in rooms that were windowless. 
But what got me, supposedly there are common traits that the children involved in the gate program had. Blue eyes. I have blue eyes. Forehead scar. Not only do I have a tiny little scar on my forehead, I don't know how I got it. An occipital bun. Small one, but it's there. Psychological characteristics. High IQ. My IQ has been measured at 142. Interest in paranormal phenomena. I'm here. INTJ. I don't know what my personality type is. Intuitive. I would say somewhat. Not amazingly so, but somewhat. Meme magic. I'll be honest, I don't know what that is. Memory loss, particularly of the gate program details. I think we know, yes. Migraines. A lot. Yes, I have a lot of migraines. I I buy I buy like the, the pills, the acetaminophen, the aspirin. And caffeine pills, just I just go and I get the largest one and I keep it in my car. Because I know wherever I'm at, I'm going to be able to get to my car. Strong sense of justice. I like to think so. Premonitions and prophetic dreams. On occasion. Birth complications. Yes. I was, I was one month late. And my mother was in labor with me. For about five days. Firstborn son. Kind of, sort of. Kind of, sort of. I was my mother's firstborn son. But my dad was married before. My dad, by the way, he was Army Air Force. So he did have, he did have a son born before me. But I was my mother's firstborn son. Early speech therapy. Yes. Years of speech therapy. Uh, I'm sure you can still hear it on my CHs and my SHs. I kind of slur those. Like, chocolate is a bad word for me. Sugar, you can kind of hear like a little bit of a slur. I've I've pulled it back. I've done fairly decent with it. But it's still there. I can still hear it. Near-death experiences, especially drowning. Yes, not drowning so much. Kind of, in a weird way, drowning. I had Legionnaire's disease whenever I was 16. My lungs filled with fluid. Leniency from authority figures. Yes. I'm not going to incriminate myself. Yes. Late teens, early 20s, heavy drug use. No. No. Never never even been much of a drinker. Jewish art student girlfriends? No, I've, I've never even dated an art student. Tendency toward being followed, abducted, tracked, or gang stalked. No, 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 and no. At least that I'm aware of. Tavistock Institute oversight. I wouldn't know. Rooms were windowless or the windows were covered. I do remember a windowless room. 
it was you had the office in the Salisbury Elementary uh, School, and the room was if you were facing the office, it was the room to the right of the office. Like you had the nurses' station to the left, the office, and then the room, and then the room to the right. Hearing tests, yes. Problem solving tests, yes. Something just came back to me. Something just came back to me. I, I remember them asking me something about Christopher Columbus. I was very young. I was like five or six. God, it's it's nebulous. It's like it's 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 sliding away. They asked me something about Christopher Columbus. And I said he was the man who invented America. And they corrected me. He didn't invent America. He discovered America. Which really didn't really discover America. Discovered North America, I guess. Problem solving tests. Yes. Zener card ESP tests. Kind of, sort of. Kind of, sort of. That I remember, I remember something with like multicolored circles. Like I, it was like a yellow or an orange circle and a red square, something like that. Administered special juice, especially banana flavored. I don't remember a special juice, but that banana flavoring, that banana flavoring caught my attention. I was treated for attention deficit disorder as a child. And the medicine I was on, it was called Silert. And it was banana flavored. Now, what does this mean? I don't know. I don't know. Like I said, I've only had two days really to do research on this. But I, I feel like there's enough on that list. <laughs> you know, I don't have a Jewish art student girlfriend. At least I don't think I did. But I think there's enough on that list that warrants further digging on my part. So I'll keep you updated on that. Thank you so much for joining me this week on Strange Pathways. I'm going to start doing a little bit more work with the Facebook page. Why don't you head over to the Strange Pathways Facebook page? There is a link down below. Whether you're on Spotify, whether you're on YouTube, there is a link down below. And I'm going to throw a few photos up. Instead of making the, the art like, you know, this, that, the other thing. I'm just going to have, like, some generic art for this one. And I'll put up some photos. I'll put up some photos of the wolf's egg object. I'll put up some artist renditions of the Enfield horror. Some other things up there. Be sure to click like. Hit subscribe over on that YouTube. Tell a friend. Just word of mouth. Whenever, whenever you're on a forum and they go, hey, I want a good paranormal podcast to listen to, do me a favor, tell them about Strange Pathways. It means a lot to me 
It really does. I love the, seeing the numbers get higher and higher. I love seeing the emails come in from listeners. And I love you guys, too. Take care of yourselves and each other. Have a great week.